0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up later this morning, 9 o'clock hour, the youth's four-star quarterback recruit, verbal commit, Peter Costelli. We're going to talk with him coming up at 9 a.m. Uh, we're also going to hear from his high school coach. I think that's coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, so stay with us for that. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got football with Norm Chow. But first... What's going on with the Jazz? Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, uh, talking about Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and how he sees things. That's next. Stay with
1: us. Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
0: Time right now to talk to our basketball insider Steve Cleveland. S- Sprint, Steve joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Make it safe and easy to get what you need online with Sprint. You can visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, drama. The Rudy Gobert, uh, Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell situation with uh, uh, Friday in the Athletic. There was uh, and there were quotes from Joe Ingles who had his name on his quotes, you know, saying it's up to those guys, you know, to work it out. And then there was an unnamed person who said it's uh, it's unsalvageable. And then we saw Rudy over the weekend in Instagram live interview say that they hadn't talked in a while, but now they have, and they both want to win a championship. And so, you know, it's, even marriages aren't perfect, he pointed out. When you hear all this, man, there's a lot of different things to uh, think about. If you're, a, if you're a coach or a GM, if you try to hop in their chair, what do you come up with?
2: Well, I mean, the first thing I would do was sit down and talk with them. And, and that, I don't know, you know, if that's been I – I don't know what the circumstances are. Both those guys in Utah right now, or they get back at home.
0: Uh, the story said that Donovan went home to New York for the quarantine, but it wasn't clear, I'm not clear where he is right now yeah. after that 14 I days.
2: Mean, I mean, the first thing you've got to do uh, as a coach or a parent or anyone is you've got to go to, to the problem and see what the source is and what the circumstances are. And and then once you find out how they feel and what the circumstances are, you know, you you talk about what has to happen and, and what 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 have you guys done in terms of, trying to work this thing out. And I, I mean, I've read what you've read a little bit, and it's, it's hard to completely understand the details of the whole thing because I think it's kind of a personal thing. But uh, that's the first thing you do. And uh, you, you find out where they're at personally, where maybe their feelings have been hurt or where they feel like, uh, you know, things have been said that uh, were inappropriate. and inappropriate for teammates, inappropriate for friends. And, you know, they're friends before this. (laughs) You know, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't think that there was a rift between the two of these young men prior to this incident. They seemed to always get along well and be on the same page, uh, all stars together. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to sit down and talk to them and find out where where it lies. And, uh, I mean, that's the only thing you can do. I mean, it's unfortunate. Uh, and I don't have enough inside knowledge to understand the why of this thing. I mean, I understand how it's really a scary thing, the idea that they both had that virus. From what I've been told, they're both doing well and they're healthy and uh, they're through it. That's the case with most young people who get it. But uh, there must have been something, you know, I mean, I watched the videos. You guys were there. And I was under the assumption that when Rudy did that rather immature thing that he had no idea he had the virus, and it was just an immature act uh, on his part, and that when he did, in fact, find out that he had it, he recognized that that was inappropriate. And to my knowledge, I thought he donated a chunk of money and came out and apologized. And to me, that, that seemed like that'd be good enough. But this may be more than just the virus. Maybe it's other things were said, implied. Who knows? But you got to get together and talk it out.
3: Do you think there was any frustration that was born actually on the basketball court? And this might have been somewhat of a tipping point. So the point being, it started before?
2: Well, I, it's really, really hard for me just knowing and watching these two young men who seem to be so positive. There's so much positive energy that comes from the two of them that there might have been something else that was part of this. And, and this was the tipping point because, again, you you all are there every day. You're watching it. You're talking to him. Uh, I guess my question for the two of you would be, have you ever seen a time when they didn't get along beyond the normal competitiveness of trying to win games and the disappointment of not playing well? I've just not seen it publicly. And, I'm again, I'm not around them privately, but uh, – It it, it doesn't make sense to me, to be honest with you. And uh, so as a coach, that'd be the first thing I'd want to get to. And, okay, what's going on here? What's the source of this problem? Is this about the coronavirus or is this about something else? And let's get it fixed and get on the same page because there's the possibility we could get back together here and we want to have everything right if that opportunity comes.
0: So as far as having seen something, I would say no. I think that they are uh, professional. I think that this generation of athlete is very savvy to, you know, when you're at a game, there are cameras everywhere. So you wouldn't see anything because there isn't anything. But if there was something, you still wouldn't see anything. So to the question, did you see anything? No, I didn't. I think okay. that when Rudy, in the first 10 games of the year, came out and said he needed more shots and you know he uh, set the dunk record a year ago and he needs to be part of the offense, I think that's always a red flag. I think if you're on a church team or a rec team, that's a red flag. I think if you're in the NBA, that's a red flag, and I think that's a red flag everywhere in between in high school and college. When somebody starts yeah. demanding shots, I think everybody else on the other team, even guys who aren't playing, who aren't going to lose any shots, are looking at them like... Really? Well, you got a high opinion of you. I think that's just the nature of the sport. So I think that can be a problem, and it's always struck me as odd, and it's never completely addressed, and it's usually talked around, but it has always struck me as odd that early in games, they run two post-up plays for Rudy. Because I think the odds of those plays, and I don't have the math on them, but it can't be good. It's just the points per possession on that. There's too many turnovers. He doesn't finish shots. He gets fouled. He goes one for two. They only do it early in the game. And it looks to me like it's kind of, okay, we'll run a couple things for you. And if you've got an advantage and can deliver it, we'll keep doing it. But if you don't, then we'll go away from it. And and having watched their games night after night, that's, you know, what I see. Now, nobody wants to just come out and say, hey, we're trying to pacify one of our star players. But how does it look? That's how it looks to me, and I think that would sit poorly. And I've always associated that with what Rudy said in the first 10 games. So that, well, if, there's a real, if there's a real component to this, as far as I know, that would be it. But there's a lot of interactions behind the scenes, and you know this because you're on teams. How much guys practice together, uh, how much guys uh, are in the weight room together, how much guys travel together. You know, we're not privy to all that stuff. What there is there is the great unknown.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I, I did this long enough to know that there were guys that occasionally that uh, felt like, and, and, and sometimes it's not just the players, but it's actually assistant coaches or people that are connected. And, you know, these guys are connected. They have their workout coaches. They have their assistant coaches that they're probably close to, maybe guys that are over the bigs, you know, all of those kinds of things. And things like that do surface. And, and typically you can talk those things out. And guys are going, listen, I'd like to get more touches. You know, I don't feel like I, I can do this or do that. You know, and, and I, I've watched Rudy play a number of times, and usually he needs angles to the rim, and and he's not creating shots off a jump shot. I mean, he's got to get to the basket, and if you stay between him and the basket, you got he's got to shoot over you and through you, and uh, those are never usually easy shots. Obviously, he's going to get rebound dunks and those kinds of things, but. I've watched him play a lot. I, I, I haven't seen anything created outside of about two or three feet that didn't come from a dump off or come from a direct angle shot. So, uh, and, and he should want to get better. He should want to develop the ability to knock a 17-foot shot down. I mean, these are all things, but those are things you do in the off season. Those aren't things we start experimenting with halfway through the season. You know, you keep working on those things. And uh, But, I mean, I've been in situations as a coach where, you know, a kid wanted it again. So, you know, you can sometimes out of timeouts, dead ball situations are great opportunities to run a quick hitter, to run some kind of isolation set, and uh, put the ball in hands. Well, we've, we've all done that as coaches to get guys going, to get their confidence up. But typically you do it for guys that are scorers that are struggling, and rather than have them take the first two or three shots of a game, which are the most difficult, get it in a flow, get it on a dead ball, get it on a timeout, get them where there's an isolation where they can go to their strengths. So it's not like that doesn't take place in teams. That happens all the time. But you're right. Uh when you have two or three or four different things that start coming up, it you do tend to think, Okay, this might be more than just shots. Maybe it's a personality conflict. Uh you know, maybe one of them's thinking that, uh, you know, my role needs to change or we're not you know, they, they had some struggles for, for a long while there during the course of the year where they were losing games they shouldn't lose. And, uh, you know, for, to me, most everybody took responsibility for it. Every time I heard an interview, the coaching staff players, they were all pretty accountable. It wasn't somebody i, I never really heard pointing fingers or little unsaid things that, man, he's shooting too much. Uh, I, I, I never saw it. I never saw evidence of that. But certainly uh, you do those things all the time to try to get guys going. And, and you know, it, it sounds like, well, you're trying to keep them happy. Well, sometimes if you can call three or four things for a guy he, in his mindset, because you don't know who's in his ear, you know. Is it his mother? Is it a former coach? Is it his best friend? Is it his agent? Uh, and you, As a coaching staff, you've you know, you obviously got to get to the bottom of all of that. But it's not uncommon to help a guy get out of a slump, or help a guy that maybe feels like he's not as wanted or needed to get him shots. And uh, but a lot of times, I try to do those things out of dead balls, timeouts, so that we knew specifically what's going to happen and go for it. The beginning of the game is not the time of run isolation guys that aren't scores. <laughs> that that's you know let's get in the flow of the game and make those things happen. So those are my thoughts on that. Hopefully they can. Uh, both be mature enough to uh, to work through these things
3: i wanted to hit you up a little bit on the college situation Uh, a week or so ago hbo has sean miller you know he's not saying i will play i will pay player x x amount of dollars but he's talking about it obviously there's conversation there and you hear his voice And, you know, the FBI has been involved. We still haven't really seen any sanctions on head coaches. Obviously, some assistant coaches have been in some serious trouble. But I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, because of the the talent difference that one individual can make on a ball club in college basketball, I'm wondering if we will ever get to the point or what can be done to get to the point to clean this stuff up.
2: Well, I think we're all being really naive and putting our head in the sand if we think that stuff isn't happening or hasn't been happening for a long time. And, you know, no coach, uh, probably not many administrators want to point fingers to anybody because everybody, not necessarily just, I'm not talking about money in all situations, but everybody has done things inappropriately, made mistakes sometimes, not knowingly do it. So no no one's perfect here. Uh, you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with parents, A, hey, U coaches, high school coaches, there's so many conversations. And one of the big responsibilities of a head coach is to know and have a clear, really clear understanding about, Here's, you, know, you take a test at the beginning of the year, but these are things that have to be talked about in your staff meetings and how you're represented. And in the indictment of some of these head coaches and, and the, the idea that maybe they were involved in these things, I've seen a little bit of the stuff. Uh, as, as it relates to it, uh, you, you know what, this this needs to get fixed. And the only really way to get fixed is to, and, and, and again, trying to prove something in a court of law when it's a he said, she said thing. And as good as attorneys are today, you know, they don't have real evidence. It, it's going to be really hard to find an indictment on a head coach who hasn't really said something that was specific to giving money or doing it. But the, the idea that anybody in this world, in Arizona or anybody else, that doesn't think that inappropriate things haven't been going on for a long time has got their head in the sand. Because uh, there, there, there are things going on. And I, I, I was in the business long enough as a, as a junior college coach where I saw lots of things, and, and certainly as a Division One coach. So uh, I, I think the NCAA – it get, gets maligned for a lot of things, and uh, but at the end of the day, you, you do have to have uh, a code of ethics here. You you do have to uh, follow up on leads. There ha- there has to be an investigative arm in the N.C. because it, it is an unfair advantage. I mean, and the, the irony of this is it, it's it's the it's the elite you know elite teams in the country who are doing it to probably stay as competitive as they can. But uh, it, it's not like the low bid majors are, are doing this. There's infractions going on at every level. But when we're talking about money and shoe contracts, those, those are the top 20, 25, 30 teams in the country that are dealing with that kind of money. And uh, there they just needs to be a better way to monitor it. And, uh, and, and certainly, it, we live in a transparent world. And whether it's in Twitter or social media or Facebook or whatever, Everybody is saying and talking and doing things, and uh, it's it's it is difficult to kind of figure out where the truth lies. But uh, I mean, I'm not here to point fingers at anybody. But it would be really naive of any of us to think that that's not going on. And I'm not saying it's going on at a huge level. Like if there's 370 you know schools, you know to malign 300 Three hundred schools that have never really had major infractions, other than mistakes with phone calls, or you know, a lot of the things that used to be infractions were making inappropriate calls and doing those kind of things. Most of those things have been wiped off the books, and it's uh, they've made it a lot easier to make contact with guys. But when you're talking about money and you're talking about that that kind of thing, uh, we're talking about a small percentage of schools, but it still needs to be dealt with, especially when there are many of them are top 30, top 40, top 50 teams in the country.
0: When you hear that Abel Porter is leaving Utah State, a former walk-on who started every game last year, averaged about 5.5 points, he's going to Ohio State. And we hear Matt Van Comen is transferring from Utah to St. Mary's. What was your reaction when you heard those? What kind of impact can those guys have at that school, those schools?
2: Man, I, you know what, I, I, I it's not like I watched all of their games, but uh, – I mean, they'll be better in those situations because they've got experience. They'll have an opportunity to play. But uh, it it wasn't like they were killing it uh, in in either place that they were at. So maybe, uh, again, it's a connection. It's a family situation. It's a high school situation where there's a coach that they see an upside. Uh, Are both of them going to have to sit?
0: Uh, so Abel Porter's a grad transfer. He can play right away. He's going to be needed because they had a guy transfer that they didn't expect. So I think they'll, I mean, it's Ohio State, so they'll bring in a freshman who who can play and will want to play, but they'll need... You know, kind of the veteran studying hand, I think is how they view him from what I've read. Yeah. And then there's a, the NCAA's got to decide what's going to happen. They're, they could be changing the rule here. So Van Komen yeah. might get to play right away. Now, he might have to redshirt a year and he could appeal. But if the rule gets changed this summer, then he'd get to play right away.
2: Right. And, I, and it did seem like that's probably the direction they were going to go before the whole COVID thing hit us. So uh, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, anytime you got a big like that, you 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 figure there's an upside, you know. But I I mean the thing about it is that uh, they had guys there already. I mean and uh, you, you know you're, you're you got know, you've got freshmen and sophomores ahead of them that are farther along. And I mean you can only have so many bigs. I mean I, it, it's nice. To, it's hard to stockpile a bunch of six eleven and seven foot guys when in a lot of times there's only room for one maybe two. And uh, that didn't surprise me at all to be honest with you. And I don't think it's really going to impact the program at all. It's probably going to make somebody else better, but they've got they've got bigs that are very capable. And uh, I think it was just a, a situation where you got too many bigs, and uh, and you're not gonna you're not gonna play three or four bigs. I mean, you're usually gonna play two, and half the time you go small and play one. So I think he kind of saw the handwriting on the wall. I, I don't think that. Uh, I, don't blame. I mean, I, I can see where he'd want to do that and go somewhere where he has a chance to play 20 minutes a game uh, as a sophomore. But, I mean, he's got a lot of things he's got to get better at. And, and, and the, the way to get better is to play. And I just didn't see him playing in the next year or two there. That, those things happen all the time. And, uh, and I watched him play enough to know that he has a, a ceiling and he can, he can impact games. But he wasn't ready to do that as a freshman.
3: How taxing would it be to be a college coach now? You have to recruit players to your program, and then when you're they're in your program, you have to keep re-recruiting them to stay.
2: Really, really challenging. And uh, I think that the whole culture of college basketball has changed in that way. And especially as now, now with the new transfer rule, and I'm assuming it's going to be a one-time thing for a young man or a young woman, but at the, cir- the circumstances now is that when you recruit somebody and you do, you spend a lot of time with those people and their families and their coaches and everybody that 's connected to that young man and uh, and i, I don 't want to say promises are made, but opportunities are talked about a lot in terms of their development and where they 're going to go from here and there and and knowing that once they get there, and we talk, 've talked about this a little bit is You can't underestimate the ability of a guy that maybe was a walk-on or maybe has been in the program and and he makes great strides. And especially for freshmen coming in when there's such expectations from the player, the parents, the coaches, everybody connected to that young man. And when they get there and all of a sudden it doesn't look, it doesn't feel like the recruiting trip and all the nice things that they said you know, now immediately they they can see the handwriting on the wall. I mean, there's not a young man that doesn't, if they were going to ask themselves honestly and say, wow, I'm going to have a hard time playing here. He, he's better than I thought he was. And you can, you know, you, between summer and the fall and the season, in a year you can kind of figure out really quickly where I am and where I belong. And, and because of the lack of patience and the, kind of the, the whole attitude of I want it now and I want it immediately and I want to have my opportunity, I, you know, that doesn't sound a lot like guys that want to be a part of a team and help something grow. It, it is a really legitimate thing And sometimes guys get recruited, number one, coaches make mistakes, number two, younger players or older players develop quicker, and, and all, of a guy, all of a sudden there's an odd guy out because he's not quite ready to play in that system or not quite ready to play because they have so much depth. So it does make sense to me that you allow guys to do it, but I have no way uh, that would have been really difficult to coach in where guys are coming and going. And and I think it's going to be a situation where it's not that big a deal anymore because that's fine. He leaves, I'll find another one. If if there's no transfer, you know, there's no sitting out anymore, all of a sudden you take that accountability piece out where they have to really make sure now that, you know, we've got to make the right decision here. But I think we can all understand how these things happen, but it would be challenging. Uh, the, the good news is that you can try to go and find somebody. And if you've got a good program and you've got great facilities and a great fan base, it's much easier to get transfers. And uh, I, I think we've watched this long enough now to know that when you can go ahead and get guys that are juniors or seniors or grad transfers, they are always better than a new freshman coming in and, or maybe a freshman or a sophomore that hasn't played much. Uh, you, you cannot <coughs> underestimate the value of a young man that's played in 50 or 60 or 80 games and the confidence level that they're going to have and the immediate impact that they can have. So who doesn't want grad transfer? Who doesn't want guys that are, you know, juniors have been in a program and understand what travels like and have and, and dealt with adversity, the, you know, I be. that's going to become a market. I mean, for mid-majors, I started looking the other day. I saw on, uh, on the ESPN app, they listed 150 kids that were either going to be ready to play, that had to sit a semester or sit a year. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I don't know how many kids are in the portal right now or have been, but uh, that's, that's a new dynamic in college basketball is that working that system. And if you are a mid-major or you even a, a, a P5 conference where you're in the bottom half, I'm looking for transfers all the time because that's how I'm going to get better because I can't get the blue-chip guy. But my guy that's played three years at UC Santa Barbara and every 17 a game comes in here as a senior, he's every bit as good as that freshman, unless the guy's a pro and a top, you know, he's a lottery pick. But you're going to always take the guy from Santa Barbara if, if you have a chance because it makes you competitive immediately.
0: Well, that depresses me. You didn't have to pick UC Santa Barbara, Steve. I mean, that seems personal, but whatever. All right, Steve, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. All right, man. See you guys. There's Steve Cleveland. Coming up next, Norm Chow. Stories from the XFL, Norm Very high on UCLA going into this season. Look out for the
1: Bruins. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and
0: PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. He's back, baby. Norm Chow joins us now. <laughs> Good morning.
4: Good morning, fellas. How are y'all doing? Uh, we're doing
0: all right. How are you doing without your beloved Dodgers? You don't have a Dodger oh, game every gosh. day.
4: You know. You know what? They, they they finally okayed it to be on television. You know they, they had a big old ruckus about being on TV. Now most of the people can see them and they don't play. So it's been killing <laughs> us. It's been hurting us. <laughs>
3: Plus the, uh, uh, the the ocean's closed. How are you getting in your uh, surfing?
4: Well, we still get to walk. We don't get to walk on the beach anymore. They've closed the strand, uh, you know that you know about. But that, yeah. but uh, we can still walk on in the neighborhood. So it's been rough. It's been rough. Uh, but you know everybody's going through, and everybody has to do their part. And hopefully this thing will, will you know, will ease up just a little bit. But uh, people are doing what they're asked to do, and then uh, you know trying to do the best they can.
0: Well, if you can still walk and smell the ocean air, I mean that's something.
4: Yes, it is, and it's been it's been nice over the last couple of days. It's been yeah, I, I talked to a friend of mine up in in Utah, and it said the other day it was seventy degrees. That that that's springtime in the Rockies, so hard to beat. Spring and fall in the Rockies, in my mind, are just so hard to beat.
0: Yeah, it plummeted right back into the forties, though. So, Norm, you uh, you had a you had a run with the <laughs> you had a run with the XFL there. And uh, we saw the xFL closed up shop a terrible time to try to launch a new league i'm selling i'm sure selling season tickets and sponsorships for next year is impossible in this era, so i get why they've already said no football in 2021 uh what was the xFL like you learned anything you find anything interesting there what was your takeaway
4: you know you know what guys it, it was fun i mean you know obviously everyone went into it a little bit uh what, what's the right word did de- de- dubious maybe but uh you know it was really fun and and i think I was quite surprised at the caliber of football. I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, there was some very good football coaches. You know, I-, I watched a lot of that AAF tape, and certainly not being critical of that, but but it was. Uh, it- I thought it was a little better. Better played out because there were no rules. You know, the AAF had rules where you couldn't blitz or whatever, and and um, the the XFL just let it go. So it was football. It was really good football. I thought the schemes were good, the players were good. Um, It was fun. It really was fun. And I'm convinced that had it not been for this, you know, this situation we're in now, that it would it would it would have made it. Um, And I think this guy Vince McMahon. You know, he's obviously not a dumb guy, and, and uh, the way he presented it on television, I ended up watching a couple games after this was all done, you know, and sitting at home, nothing else to do, and it was well done. You know, they, they, they got to hear the players and the coaches and all that kind of stuff, and uh, I thought it was presented very well, and, and the surprising thing to me about the whole deal was that uh, caliber football was really pretty good.
3: Yeah, what, why do you say you were surprised by that? I find that interesting.
4: Well, because uh, you know, you, you you've seen so many of these other leagues try to make it. You know, I watched some of that AAF, and, and you know, obviously knew some of the coach of Dennis and the, and and his gang that ran it up in Salt Lake, and I, I just wasn't real impressed. I thought the the, the offensive lines were the, probably the weakest part of it all. The weakest, the offensive lines and the defensive secondary, which to me are the two critical parts of a of a, of a team, you know, and. And I, I remember always being told as a young coach that you, you, you need two good coaches on your staff, the offensive line coach and the secondary coach. And I think that's true. And so I watched some of that and, and, you know, it was good. And like I said, I'm not certainly not knocking anybody or anything. But but then when we went to camp and, and saw the caliber of players and they kept upgrading the players, you know, it's, it was like the NFL. Uh, they kept bringing in guys. They're trying to beat out other guys. And, and that part of it was was, uh, was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just read where one of our receivers, who I thought was maybe our third or fourth best, just signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, um, you know that that's the caliber of players that I think we had.
0: Norm Chow, join us here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty, the Zone. I always find it interesting when a new league starts up. You know, the NFL is slow; they're very they're, they're slow to adopt new rules. And you know, the two point conversion I thought was a no brainer, and it took the NFL forever to embrace it. And now that they have, I think it's a good thing. I thought the kickoff, you know, to limit the violence of the collisions, not to give guys a thirty or forty yard head start, uh, it was odd at first watching it, but I thought it was okay. And I thought the one, two, and three point conversions, all not not kicking, but you know, an actual you know play from the line of scrimmage, I wouldn't be upset if the NFL tinkered with uh, either of those. Did you like those? Hate those? You're lukewarm you know, on them.
4: No, I, I, um, um the uh, initially I thought that, like you say, the kickoff was odd, but. But it turned out to be a, a, a pretty good now. It forced you to return the kick, if you will. They weren't going to kick it out of bounds because you'd get the ball way up there. And it did preclude people from getting hurt you know, because there's only a five-yard distance between the two. So I really thought that was a good one. But especially the after the point after. At first, I thought, oh, man, this is going to be really difficult. And it was difficult, but it sure added a lot to the game. Uh, it, it made you think, it made you anticipate. You know, the head coach, uh, the, you know, the play callers and everybody had to really anticipate what was going on, you know, whether to go for one, two or three. And you didn't have time to think much about it. But what it did was on offense, it, it forced you to prepare a lot more in that, well, you know, what they call a tight red zone, you know, from the five-yard in, five yard line in, where normally you prepare two or three two-point plays, baby. You know, to get ready for a game. Well, now you have to have 10 or 12 because not only that, but if the game went into overtime, it was a hockey shootout. That's the one I, I uh, would have liked to have seen played out on television anyway in a game, but it never happened with
3: us. I want to ask some thoughts about college. Uh, you pac 12, three brand new head coaches. Now, one of them, Washington, was a promotion. The other two, uh, brand new staffs you got a bunch of staffs in the in the conference that are bringing on new coordinators with this quarantine and no spring ball and all this stuff going on. How much do you think that is of a concern to those particular programs
4: well i i um I'm not so sure Now, no where where are the three new oh Colorado I guess has one Colorado I, I think, and,
3: yeah Colorado and both washington's
4: Oh, that's right. Both Washingtons, both Washingtons. I think uh, you know the, the, the Jimmy Washington, Jimmy Lake at Washington. Well, there obviously won't be much of a, of a of a change. And then my understanding is Colorado kept quite a few of their their their, their assistants, so maybe that's not going to be much of a change. Washington State with uh, with the guy from Hawaii going over there, that might be. But he, he brought a lot of guys with him. I, I think it's going to hurt. I really do. Um, you know, there's even talk, and and unfortunately, that you know, will they even have a season? In my mind, I think they. Hopefully, they will, but maybe it'll be pushed back a month or so. And if that's the case, then I think the guys would have enough time to get themselves ready. But 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 it's gonna hurt because it takes time to put in your system that you want. <clears throat> and um, you know, I I I I likened it when we were in the when in the XFL by the. When we played our fourth and fifth games, I thought we were really pretty good. And when I look back, you know, the NFL has four preseason games, and the fifth game, they're they're ready to go. So in college, you know, you always have a couple of non-conference games to get yourself ready. So if they have to get themselves ready, or the season is shortened, or they get right into conference play. I think it's going to hurt, and the Utahs and the people that have guys coming back, I mean, you know, understand the system, I think will make a huge difference, I really do. UCLA is one of them, I think, that that they finally figured out what Chip wants, and I think they're going to be pretty good.
0: So I think most people are seeing the Pac-12 South as uh, two groups, USC, Arizona State, and Utah at the top, and UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado at the bottom. Do you think UCLA belongs more to that top group than that
4: bottom group? Uh, I do. I, I do. I do. I thought they were playing pretty well. Now, now they, they, for whatever reason, they get a lot of guys that transfer out, and so that may hurt them. But uh, you know, just just on paper, and I saw the way Chip was was playing toward the end of you know uh, of last year. I think. I don't know. I, I and that's a good question. I don't know if they would be up there with USC and Utah, but they certainly would have a shot at it. Yeah.
3: So you look at the Utes, obviously they lose Tyler Huntley, right? And so they've got this kid, Cam Rising. He's up uh, by the uh, Magic Mountain area. He goes to Texas. He doesn't play. He transfers on the team last year, but he has to sit out. So he's been in Ludwig's program for over a year. Then they get this grad transfer uh, from South Carolina, who started 33 games, but he's coming over here out to Utah because he had the connection. Ludwig recruited him when Ludwig was at Vanderbilt. So they were going to have this competition in spring ball, and I think they got in three practices before they had to stop, and so see what happens in the summer. I'm wondering for you, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator, are going to have a significant say in who ends up being the starter when we get to that point if it's close do you go with the younger guy knowing that he's going to be around or do you go with the older guy and even though you're only going to have one season with him
4: personally i would go with the older guy i would but that's just me because uh, you know they're probably a little more mature and, and have a little better understanding a little a little better a little more experience in the ball game when, you know it is there's nothing like the ball game I mean, you know practice is practice but when you get in a real ball game with the bullets flying and, and all that kind of business, I think I'd take the, the more experienced guy. If they were even, you know, if the if the young guy had a lot more more ability, you know, you'd put him in because he has the bigger upside because he's going to be with you for a year or two. But I would try to win now. I don't think you need to worry about down the road any because uh, you know all that matters is the game that you're playing next.
0: You know, you referenced the fact that the season might start a little late. Uh, We had Mark Harlan, um, the AD at Utah, on uh, Uh Talking Sports, and he was talking about how the Pac-12 ADs are working on five different plans – he didn't go into what they were, but we've subsequently heard more interviews. Obviously, one plan is starting on time. One is maybe condensing the preparation, but starting on time. There's the conference-only season. That's what you said about sliding it back to October 1, but still squeezing in the games. But what's come out is that one of the plans is, hey, if you can't play it in the fall, these athletic departments need the revenue that comes with football. So... As a one-off, you play in the spring some combination of, you know, late February, March, April, May, some some combination in there. What kind of problems would that pose for football coaches? I mean, they'd have to adapt if that was the plan, but what what kind of hurdles would that put up?
4: Wow. I, I, that, that's interesting what you said. With, with that, that's, that's interesting thoughts. I, I mean, you, coaches can adapt. I mean, I don't think that would be any big deal. You know, if they said, "Okay, we're going to start on this date," then then coaches would go to work on it, preparing and making sure that they were ready. And you know how how, how we're going to handle two, uh, preseason camp, how we're going to handle this, how we're going to handle that. I think coaches could do that. I think they need some lead time. You know, I I would feel badly for the for the other sports, the spring sports. You know, the baseballs and track and fields and those kind of things, but. But you're right. I mean, football obviously drives the program, and, and, and they'd have, they, they want to make sure and get it in. I, um, you know, I've always been very optimistic that this, this world is going to get back to normal someday, and, but, but, boy, it's getting close. And I think the NFL and college football have, have real reasons to be concerned. But uh, I think you could adapt. Uh, whatever, pro, whatever they decide, uh, I'm sure that the coaches could adapt very easily.
3: Yeah, with that in mind, you know, obviously they didn't get the spring ball, and the off-season conditioning and workouts are in jeopardy. Would you add more time to the training camps before the start of the season?
4: Well, you know, you'd think you'd have to. I mean, these these, these young fellows probably haven't lifted a weight in a in a, in a month, right? I mean, they've missed it. Yeah. You know, spring ball is spring ball. There's a, there's a lot to it. People are very cautious now anymore in spring. But it's that, it's that weight training and the, the conditioning part to get into football-type shape. You know, you do what you don't do in spring practice because you're going to lose it. But it's the offseason, it's the weights and the, the running and the, those kind of things that get yourselves ready. So I think, yeah, I think that, that, that part of it. They they're gonna need some time, no question about it. Uh, the football part, the scheme part, you know, it's gonna take a while, regardless. So I think the other part is what you need to concern about is prevent injuries and pulls and you know those kind of soft tissue type injuries.
0: I know you always uh, and you already showed this with UCLA. You're always following the programs down there, and I think there's a lot of. Uh confusion maybe up here about usc how good they're going to be helton's chances of making it through this storm at usc You know, wins and losses matter a lot is is he going to win a lot is he going to win the biggest games is he going to make it through this and is he going to be a big hurdle for utah and arizona state and and maybe ucla too this year
4: uh, you know that, that's a heck of a question and and you read about it in the papers it's the reason you follow it is it's it's all over the news and it's it's all over what's the right word shocking if you'll that Clay is back and and then he uh, you know fixed his whole defensive staff up a little bit and in fact a couple of guys that I knew were let go um uh, and you're right but the 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 upside of USC is this this talent there's always going to be talent there and the recruiting is so is so critical and and USC has the ability as we all know to recruit the top guys in the country and and so they'll be good regardless kind of deal if you will but but they I understand they open with Alabama or you know, they were scheduled to open with Alabama and that would you know maybe be a I don't know a start of something you know, not what people would want. But the, the, the USC deserves to be where they're at. I mean, their they're, they're fans are uh, uh, absolutely amazing. They are, they're they're very supportive, and they'll always be good. Like I said, they always should be good because their their ability to recruit. Now, you know, Clay's a good man. I mean, he's trying to hold it together. Obviously, he wants it to happen, and, and we'll just have to see. what their schedule doesn't lend uh, you know a lot of optimism right now
3: so they did change coaches obviously on the defensive side and one of the guys they brought in uh vic suoto and uh, obviously you know him probably recruited him out of high school wherever you were at the time and he went to byu coached with bronco back in virginia and now he's going to be the defensive line coach and he said he lives down there by highland in manhattan and he's expecting a dinner invitation from you is that something you think you're going to follow through <laughs> You know, you know, I don't know
4: if I know the, 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 the young man. I, 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 I think I've heard the name before. Um, I understand we, we'll, we'll go to the same church when, when that starts up again. But I, I can't tell you that I, I, I know him. I don't know if I, I'd see him in You know, Now, Chad, the guy he replaced was a good friend, Chad Caw. Um And then uh, they replaced a linebacker coach named Johnny Nansen, who's been around for a long time. Uh, and and Greg Burns, the safety coach, he and I—I I mean the secondary coach—he and I coached together when we were at SC. And he left to go in the NFL and went back. And he only had a year. I think Chad only had a year too before they let they let uh, they let him go. So they let that three of those guys go that were very good recruiters. And you know, I thought very good football coaches. Whether they brought in a new coordinator, and he was obviously allowed to bring in who he wanted to bring in. But but to go back to uh, the D line coach, I, I you know, I I guess we'll meet someday. But right now, I don't I don't know who, who he is. We can certainly go to dinner because there's a whole lot of good Polynesian places to eat out this way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't I, I don't expect with all the XFL stuff that you're following recruiting down there that closely, but sometimes you know about quarterbacks, and the Utes just got a, uh, a four-star guy, Peter Costelli out of Mission Viejo High School. That's a, a little bit away from you down south in Orange County. Have you heard anything about him, or is that uh, just a name on the wall and you don't know?
4: Well, no, no, you know, I read about him, and I I tell you what, uh, uh, he comes from a, you you, you know the history, I don't know if you know the history, but Mission Viejo for the longest time was coached by a guy named Bob Johnson, Mm -hmm. and he put out quarterbacks every single year, Mark Sanchez. His prized pupil was, was was Carson Palmer. Carson didn't go to Mission Viejo, but uh, he worked with Bob you know, off the field. I mean, off, outside of school as his personal quarterback coach. Bob coached for a long time and tremendously successful. And he had two sons that were quarterbacks as well. So that school is known for producing terrific quarterbacks. Now, uh, Bob retired, has a couple of health issues, and retired in... in What would it be 17, maybe 18, and replaced by another Johnson. But no relation, Chad Johnson, who also has a reputation uh, coming from St. John Bosco High School as a quarterback coach. So I think he's he's probably, I don't know much about the young man other than I, I, I would guess that he's very, very well coached in high school and, and, and would be very much uh, ready to play when it's his time to go. But, you know, those those commitments that are made so far in advance, there was a study done once, right? I, I don't know if you guys remember, but they, it was a, it's a high number, of a high percentage of guys that change their minds when they commit so early. So I, I'm sure Kyle is excited about it, but I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, hey, we're going to have to re- keep recruiting guys because uh, whether this guy keeps his commitment or not, you know, remains to be seen. I guess, but uh, it's, yeah, I, I heard, I heard that name. I've heard that name, and I also know that I, I, I would bet that he's been very, very well coached.
3: The quarterback position has always intrigued me because a couple years back, they got another kid down there, I think uh, more towards San Diego, uh, Jack Tuttle's a four-star. He doesn't even play it down before he transfers, and he goes to Indiana. He gets beat out there, and we see it now. Jordan Love, they're debating from Utah State, where should he go in the first round, and is he worthy of a high pick, low pick, whatever. Do you have any particular reasons why it's hard to figure out the success rate of quarterbacks when they make the jump from high school to college, and then college to the NFL. Yeah,
4: I, I think if somebody could figure that out, they'd have it. They'd have, a pretty good, they'd have it made pretty well. I, it's hard. It's hard. I think you need to know, you know, because you can only take one. You can't go recruit three or four quarterbacks. You know, you, 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 you know, all through the years. I remember. Uh, uh, Jake, we did a little podcast about BYU football, and you know, a long time ago, and I, I was thinking back. Robbie Bosco only went to um, BYU after Sean Salisbury decided to go to USC. Does that make any sense? You know, he, he yeah. waited around. He wanted to go to BYU, but if Sean went, I think he was going to go somewhere else. Cal, maybe. I, I don't know. I can't remember the way back. But I do remember the situation. So quarterbacks are hard because you can only take one. And if you mess it up, you, you're, 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 you know, you're lying, whatever the lineage, you know, get, get there's an interruption there. So you can only take one. So you really have to study that thing, I think, and not only just watch tape and all that and, watch, and get these four star trees, and all that nonsense. But you have to really get to know them. I think you need that when you recruit them and you get them on campus. You need to spend time looking at tape, finding out how much they know. Yeah, almost like an NFL deal. You have to find out a lot about them and, and, and the type of person that they are. I, I'm go, I'm rambling on a bit, but I, 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 a lot of people have, not a lot of people people have asked you know what, what does it take how how do you get to be a quarterback and you know and and I I've always commented that that uh, of all the quarterbacks that we've had the good fortune to coach and work with the one ingredient that we had was they're all good people they're good guys they're good leaders they they get along with their teammates and all that kind of stuff and i think that's critical too so you need to you know you need to study all that stuff before you make your decision what is the guy that there was a guy that uh lane kiffin i think recruited in the eighth grade huh. um and he ended up being a wide receiver so how right, heck yeah, can you yeah. tell you know well, he was in the xfl draft in fact still 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 man or something yeah. like that and anyway uh So it's hard. Long answer to your short question. I I think it's very difficult, and I think you really need to do your homework when when trying to recruit a quarterback.
0: Well, the one the Utes just got, uh, Peter Costelli, is also being recruited by uh, Oregon, Nebraska, and LSU. So you're right. Kyle and his staff are not done recruiting. A verbal commitment's great, but you can't just – you know, turn the page and move on. You gotta you gotta stay That's with right. it. That's
4: right. And it's it's a long ways away and nobody nobody knows that better than Kyle, I'm sure.
0: Well, Norm, it was great to catch up. Thanks for checking in with us. We appreciate it.
4: Yeah, yeah, it, it is fun. I miss you guys, and uh, all the best. I, I, it's probably tough to find news, is what I told Jake. That's probably why y'all gave me a call, but I'm glad you did. And um, <laughs> take care, and all the best. And um, you know, we'll we'll all see ourselves through this and, and and get a chance to watch football again.
0: There's Norm Chow coming up next. What is trending? All the headlines next.